Welcome to Bad Law Worst Facts. I'm here with my co-host Jeff McCarthy. Jeff, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic in this way too dark <laughs> podcast slash office uh, because uh, this is our first one. Very excited to be here. Excited to do this. Absolutely. Yeah, we had uh, one of our lights just start buzzing and we don't realize how loud the microphone can be and how it comes on the background, but it is what it is and we're here. You know, I've worked with you for a while, Jeff, and I have come to see what plaintiff litigation is like through your eyes. But tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, you weren't a plaintiff attorney your whole way through. In fact, this is your second career after the military, right? That's that's correct. And first off, I have to apologize for uh, imparting any wisdom and having you see anything through my eyes. Uh, that's a <laughs> It's a terrifying proposition, um, but no, yeah, uh, this is not my first, you know, rodeo. It's it's not my first career, and it's even within the law, uh, I, I've seemed to bounce around. But I can say that this has always been the end game. This has been, you know, what the plan has culminated to. Um, you know, I was always going to do this. I was always going to have my own firm. I didn't know how, and I didn't know uh, where, and I didn't know what, um, but. You know, here we are. Um, you know, after after doing so many, I've lived so many other lives. I feel like. Um, I mean, yeah, you were. Uh, so you you came out of college, and then uh, you were in the military before college or after. So uh, what I did was I signed up for what's called a early commissioning program, um, and I went to New Mexico Military Institute. And essentially, most people are familiar with ROTC. You know, everybody knows about that. So this is kind of like an accelerated ROTC program. So you go to two years where you're basically, you enlist in the army um, and you're uh, on a contract or on a scholarship. You're at this military school in Roswell, New Mexico. So it's uh, you, the people that live in Roswell and the aliens from Area 54. Um, if, you know, it's a beautiful city if you're listening to this from Roswell. Uh, you're probably not, um, but uh, I do encourage people go there. It's, it's great. But anyway, so I did two years there. And I received my commission as an officer um, at 20 years old, so that was interesting. And from there, I went to my undergrad, uh, and then I would do my weekend, you know, warrior type stuff while I was doing my undergrad. Um, <clears throat> and then I eventually got a degree in criminal justice and uh, started working a little bit. And then Army came knocking. Um, and I did various things with them, including a couple overseas missions. In 2008, I went to um, I went to Iraq, uh, and uh, you know, got my T-shirt, uh, got shot at, got blown up, and uh, I decided at that point, you know, that dream of always going to law school and starting your own law firm, better get on that because you never know what life is going to throw at you. So I studied for the LSAT while I was actually in Iraq, came back, took it. Um, and then started my legal life, essentially. Yeah, and so where, where did you end up uh, after law school? Um, so after law school, I, while I was in law school, I applied for uh, a pre-select program here in Harris County uh, at the DA's office. So I was really lucky to get accepted into that. And um, so uh, I was a nighttime student, and I was actually working uh, full-time at a bank. Um, and it worked out really well for me because I got this pre-select position. I took the bar early uh, while I was actually still in law school. So I, I put in my two weeks at the bank. I uh, Last day was a Friday, graduated on Sunday, walked the stage. Monday morning, I'm at the DA's office as a licensed bar past you know, attorney 
And that Wednesday, I tried my first case. Uh, so way to get really on it real quick. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, well, you know, Harris County has a lot of um, y- you know uh, clients, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of opportunity to try cases, um, and uh, and that's you know that's exactly what I did. Um, and and yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. Um, I wasn't really there very long. Uh, just, you know, to be perfectly honest, my, my heart wasn't in it. If you're going to do that career, if you're going to be a prosecutor, particularly in Harris County, you, you have to be, that has to be your passion. You have to live, eat, sleep, breathe being a prosecutor. If not, it's, it's not worth it. You know, and you're doing a disservice not only to you, but to the people you represent. And I, you know, maybe because I was a little bit older, maybe because I felt like I, you know, had to save the world once it just I, my heart wasn't in it I was like oh man I can't I can't do this and then I um, went over to the civil side um, and it's interesting because the move I made looking back I literally you know I, I got a job offer from uh, Allstate and I thought okay I'm gonna go work for the good guys <laughs> you thought you were going to do God's work, That's huh? right. <laughs> I thought I was going to go out there and I was going to stop all these people, all my neck and back, scam artists, you know, <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fight the good fight. And um, today my line that I tell a lot of people, as I say, before I went plaintiff side, I worked for the prosecutor's office and I worked for an insurance company and I worked for way more criminals on the insurance side than I ever did, <laughs> you know, down in the, the, court, the criminal courthouse uh, because, you know, I mean, it really opened your eyes once you've done that for a couple years on the uh, defense. Yeah, and so you, you did defense work uh, for a few years, not only at Allstate, another defense firm as well, too, and, um, you know, you did that for a while, I realized, you know, it's just not going to work, and you went plaintiff's side, uh, but you tried a lot of cases, I mean, between the DA and... Uh, and all his defense work, right? Yeah, so that's, you know, that was kind of the reason I did that work. Um, I knew it wasn't, um, you know, sometimes when you're evaluating, I feel like your career as, you know, with anything, um, you know, there's a couple things I feel like you should always evaluate when you're looking at what type of career decisions I should make, right? And I know a lot of people focus on salary, you know, prestige, um, work-life balance, right? But I think what a lot of people either ignore or maybe people recognize and don't realize they're recognizing it is there is sometimes uh, experience equity, right? So at the DA's office and at Allstate, um, you know, and um, there is the opportunity to do things that you would never have that chance to do at a medium to large size firm, right, very quickly. Because I went from Allstate to the normal firm life. I was at a defense firm with about 100 different attorneys. And, you know, I had already tried, um, you know, over 30 cases. First chair, you know, go after it, right? And that's just unheard of in that world. But you got to remember, Allstate are these, you know, minimum limits cases. You know, mostly that's what they were giving me, $30,000 cases, you know. And there's just so many of them. And yeah. you can't really screw them up. So, you know, they're of the opinion, go get your, tri- you, you, my actual title was trial attorney. Right? Mm-hmm. And you were expected to go to trial. Same thing with the DA's office, you know. They threw you right in there, uh, you know, because that's what they need you to do. They need you to cut your teeth early on, you know, POMs and um, uh, DUIs. Same thing with, um, you know, soft tissue injury cases 
on the play, on the the civil side and get that experience so that when the big cases come around, you know, you've already taken your bumps. You know, you could lose one of those cases. You could you could go lose a misdemeanor possession of marijuana case. Nobody cares. Yeah. Don't go lose the felony murder one. Right. <laughs> you know, screw up then. And I screwed up a lot, a lot, <laughs> so much. Um, <laughs> but that's why I did it. I was like, I want this experience equity so I can cash that in down the road. Um, you know, I know I know I wasn't making as much as I should have. I you know knew I was underpaid, but I'm like, that's cool because I'm going to stack up all this experience. I'm gonna cash it in later. No, that that experience I think is is extremely invaluable. I mean, there's times where, you know, you see me really mad, just like furious. I'm just like, why are they doing this? Why are they asking for this? I don't want to agree to this. And you're like, well, hold on. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you. It even has nothing to do with the case. It has everything to do with the reporting. So let's take a step back. Let's let them have this so they can just get the reporting done and they'll treat you better, I promise. And I'm like, but but that's not the way to think in that situation. And it's been extremely invaluable because you understand what they're thinking. And, And... from someone like me who's just done plaintiff work, I'm just like, I just want to fight, 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 fight. And you're like, no, no, no. Some fights are meant to be fought and some are just meant to just waste time. Don't waste your time. That's not the point of this. Right, yeah. yeah. And and that's the thing. There's a human element. And particularly when, you know, in, in, in our type of litigation, so in the plaintiff injury world where typically the person that will be writing you the check is an insurance company. Um, in some form or fashion, you know, this isn't like, you know, like B2B litigation where it's a breach of contract between two companies that you're trying to find out, you know, you have somebody that has a, a pot of money specifically designed to give to you as long as you, you know, unlock the magic code, right? And it is a business to its core. These insurance companies are, are businesses at the, at the very heart of it. So some of their legal decisions and the, the, the advice and the guidance that adjusters will give attorneys, because don't get it wrong. Uh, it, all right, when I was at Allstate, I actually worked for a firm called you know, G. Patrick Collins, which turned into Susan L. Florence. If you're in the Houston area, Harris County, I guarantee you know these names. Um, <laughs> probably the only people, the only people that be listening to this would probably live in Houston, <laughs> like my mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, you know, these firms, you know, I'd go down to the courthouse and the line we were always told is we're not all state employees, right? So we'd get in front of the judge and plaintiff attorney just beating us up and all state, all state, all state. And I'd say, hey, 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 I, I don't represent all state. I represent my client, Mr. James Smith. And they're like, I understand that. And I'm like, so if you have any other questions after this hearing, please email me at jmccarthy at allstate.com. <laughs> <laughs> Call Winnie Hunter Allstate. My extension is this, <laughs> but I don't. I don't work for Allstate. I don't work for Allstate. But you know, I mean, but they make business decisions. Like th- there are decisions that are made um, not based on what's right in the law, what's right in the case, what's right for the case. But they say, hey, look, we know we're going to settle this, but we got to drag it out because I want to settle it in Q3. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's just the reality of it. So I feel like sometimes, when particularly when you're in the world of that. Um, Small to medium-sized cases. I mean, this probably doesn't apply to people that are doing these multi-million huge cases. But, right. you know, for the run-of-the-mill, um, the, the kind of the everyday warriors out there, you know, you're looking at a company making legal decisions. So sometimes adjusting how you deal with them um, is, is important, right? You know, make, it li- make your life easy for the defense attorney to become your advocate. He's right. got to make a report that's got to go all the way up to Chicago and give him the tools to write it up in your favor. Because if I've got a, if I've got 200 case files, 
And the one that I got from you lines it out perfectly where I can write up my report in two minutes. Well, I don't know what I do. I'm going to write up just the way you want it to. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I mean, that insight's super helpful, and that's what I try and uh, anybody that asks, I spill my guts about, hey, this is, this is how you can help yourself, you know, and work well with the defense. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. And uh, it's, it's been really helpful because you tell me what fights to have and what fights not to have because you're like, look, you win this, great, whoop-de-doo, you look like a good plaintiff attorney, but it's not going to move the case. It's not going to do anything for the reporting. You know, focus more on the plaintiff depot and getting the plaintiff debt ready to kind of get those boxes checked for the because the defense counsel is thinking, hey, this is I have a certain amount of time. There's certain cases I want to try. Is this the case I need to try, or is this the case that the plaintiff comes off so well that you know if they make a settlement offer, I should talk to my judge and talk to them and be yeah. that advocate? And that's helped me a lot. Uh, I've, I've definitely seen personally my settlement numbers go up, and the time I put into them not as much. And I'm more focused about what fight can I do for trial now, you right. know, instead of wasting, spinning my wheels on these things. Well, conceptually, plaintiff work and defense work, and again, you know, this applies specifically to, you know, a lot of these cases, that it's it's very different. Like, plaintiff work is very um, goal-based. I say this all the time. It's goal-based. Our goal is to maximize the end product, whether it's through judgment, whether it's through a jury verdict, whether it's through settlement, um, whatever it is, it, we are you know, end, you know, kind of Machiavellian, you know, hey, look, I want to get the maximum for my client and I want to make it happen as quickly as possible and quite frankly with as little work as, as possible from our end. You know, mm-hmm. if it takes three letters to get a case settled versus a lawsuit and 10 depositions, why would, you know, that doesn't help the client, right? But on the defense side, they're the opposite. They're task-based. They have intricate workflows and tasks and things that need to be done on a checklist that is driven by uh, a TPS report and a memorandum that 17 HR directors had to put out, you know, and all that matters is that workflow is, is followed because whatever consultant of the, the, the jour that they paid way too much money to come in and tell them how to maximize their efficiency, you know, told them this is what needs to be done. So if you are playing that same game with them you know don't get bogged down in the tasks they're gonna file this motion they have to they you know it's it's part of their list don't get mad at that whatever you know you're not gonna win it i'm moving past that you know i'm looking past that because most at least in my experience most defense attorneys and when i was it i wasn't looking at the final product Mm -hmm. i was looking at the tasks that were in front of me for that day that week that that block of time that I had to do in the case. Um, so if you kind of put that in perspective, I think sometimes that helps you kind of guide the defense and say, hey, look, you know, this, you know, I know you got to write this report. I know you can't settle until we go to mediation, right? So if you know they can't settle till they go to mediation and you know in your head that you have to um, mediate the case to get a settlement, you know, do things that you know get you ready for trial which is effectively what you need to successfully mediate right Right. it's like somebody once told me the smartest thing you can do as a plaintiff attorney is start with the jury charge yeah if you start at the end the jury charge everything will fall in line you know and defense doesn't do that because i don't care what the jury charge is what they don't want to do is pop okay this happened in Allstate one time and you can look it up i think it was in pennsylvania 
they were going through the list, they go to trial, and on the courthouse steps, they notice the plaintiff is missing their, I think it was their legs, either both or one of the legs. And the defense attorney says, hey, did this come from the accident? And they're like, yeah. And, <laughs> wow. And then they say, well, let me give you your policy limits. They say, we don't want it. We're going to try the case. And they got popped for this huge verdict, huge, because nobody had taken the plaintiff deposition. They had looked at the facts, they looked at, and they had made a determination that they were going to put nuisance value on it. And in, in the old Allstate days, when it fell into mist or iced, they stopped spending money on it. They put that in a separate stack and said, I'm doing absolutely nothing on this. I'll see you in trial. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happened. It showed up with no legs. And then a new policy came down. Nobody goes to trial without a plaintiff deposition, which you would think is kind of like... Kind of, you need that a little yeah. bit. You, you kind of want to know what's going on right. before everything. Yeah. Yeah. But they actually had to come down and tell people to do that. And then so you're like, all right, e- even if you have something that's so clear cut, I, I used to have to tell people, dude, this is policy limits all day. I hear you. Uh, if I don't take his deposition, I can't do it for you. You know? And they get mad at me. I'm like, ah, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? But if you know that kind of thing, like going into it, like don't take it personally, you know, just, you know, get, take what you need to do and, and you go kind of, flip them on their head to get them kind of working for you. Yeah, I remember you telling me that because I looked at one case I was like, how are they not giving me policy limits? Like, oh, they need to take plan for depot. I was like, what? Yeah. I want to, if they want to do that, I want to take defendant's depot, I want to take this depot, I want to do this, I want to do that. You're like, no, 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 just take the plaintiff depot and send the settlement. I'm like, okay, did it policy limits, yeah. right? And um, I was really surprised by it. I was like, what was the point of it? And, but you explaining that to me, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so uh, that, that information is Invaluable, and I know other plaintiff attorneys have come to you, plaintiff attorneys have been like, "What are they thinking here?" You're like, well, this is probably what I assume, and you're usually right on it. Um, you know, so it's it's been very very helpful, and I know it's been very very helpful for you on the plaintiff side as well too, um, with everything. And done that, you mentioned that I really really like is you like look the plaintiff looks at the jury charge, and I agree with you. You know, it's. Uh, when we, when you and I talk about a case, you're like, well, what do you want to show at trial? What do you want to talk to the jury at trial? And I don't think that's what defense does. You're telling me they're task-based. Yeah. And what I like about plaintiff work is that I think it's more creative. I think it's more creative in terms of you're thinking about how do I want to present this to a jury in a way that a jury will understand it, in a way that a jury will really, you know, want to just come to, you know, justice for our client, you know? And I think that's been really helpful because every single time I ask you something, well, you know, think about the jury charge. You know, I'm talking about, oh, this, this doctor is talking about pre-existing conditions and what is this? He's like, well, did he say the pre-existing condition was exacerbated? Yeah. Okay, well, on the jury charge, you're good. So yeah. let's talk about that. Let's yeah. do it, you know? And you're like, I'm like, oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. And well, so, yeah, because we're painting a picture, yeah. right? You know, we're presenting a story, we're painting a picture. You know, the old adage is we're building a house, you know? We're building a house. We want someone, We want the jury to come in. We want them to snuggle up with us, come in the living room, turn the fireplace on. We want to be nice and cozy in this house. And, you know, we, we want to bring the jury along for our ride, right? And when I was a defense attorney, you know, defending these, you know, civil cases, it was all you're trying to do is pull out enough bricks that you can create just a little bit of doubt. And, and we 100% played on the fact that juries don't understand the burden of proof. The, you know, the, the line, if you ask any jury, and, and there's smart plaintiffs and attorneys, I would see do this. And I used to use, you know, and I used to see how this was also used as a, as a prosecutor, but they, they would say, um, you guys all have watched courtroom dramas before, right? The jury's, you know, they're going to nod. The, 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 
the panel is going to nod their head and say, of course, who here watches Law and Order? You know, a couple hands go up. Judge Judy, right? Yeah, you know, we make a joke. Uh, finish this sentence for me. It must be proven within, and someone's going to say, a reasonable doubt, right? Yeah. And that's not the standard. You Absolutely know, we not. know that's not the standard. Yeah. But if, but if you know, if plaintiffs forget to do that in Vordire, in the opening, hammer home that burden of proof. That burden of proof becomes our biggest enemy because that jury's going to sit in the box thinking they need to be really prove this case, like CSI style, mm-hmm. you know? And I saw, and I won a lot of cases on the defense side kind of using that tactic, you know, implying that this burden of proof is really hard to meet. And I used to just hammer it all day long. They didn't meet their burden. They didn't, well, no, no one really talked about the burden, but it's kind of in the zeitgeist of, you know, they, we all think the burden of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, that term is thrown around so much because last I checked, courtroom drama is about a rear end collision where someone has $16,000 in Cairo. It's not very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe to me and you, maybe to yeah, me and you. Yeah. Uh, it's an average person, not it's so much. few. Yeah, a few. <laughs> um, so, so like you know the the ones that so the ones that that when I was on the defense I, I learned the most from would be watching smart plaintiff attorneys truly prove up their case and when I saw it happen I, of course I get super nervous but um, <laughs> uh, you know but that that's where I really learned I was like okay that's I, I gotta remember to do that all right okay that's how he beat me on that you know um, but but yeah that you know it's it's it's, it's a very different um, it's just a totally different mind shift and. You know, if you're painting the picture and you're bringing that jury in, I feel like that's how you win trials. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you're not even right now. You're you're in a transition mode, right? I mean, you you were doing plaintiff work, uh, really liked it, and like I said, you gave me the reins on it. You're like, all right, uh, Mike, good luck, and uh, <laughs> come to me if there's yeah. any malpractice issues. And yeah. <laughs> um, now I'm focusing on um, mass torts, which honestly, you know, I worked at this firm. I still don't understand mass torts. I just know that. There's a lot of people involved, <laughs> and you're talking to them. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. So, you know, and, and when we're talking about mass torts, you know, um, and it is a new endeavor for us as a firm. Um, when I was in law school, again, I worked full time, but so I had to pick and choose my legal experience I tried to get. So I spent one summer at the uh, attorney general's office working in their civil Medicaid fraud division. And I actually worked on the uh, RISPRAL. So um, the civil Medicaid fraud division of Texas was suing Merck uh, based on, um, you know, a whole bunch of different violations, uh, off-label marketing and, you know, um, a litany of other things. And so I got Shocker, to... right? Yeah, right, yeah. And I got to, you know... Absorb a lot of that. My, my my very my very prestigious role in the whole process was um, document review. So uh, <laughs> I spent six weeks unpaid in Austin reading Merck emails. Um, uh, but you know I got to be around these people and I got to really you know sit in on on meetings and brainstorming. And at the time I really didn't understand what I was listening to, um, but I enjoyed it. It was it was it was fascinating. It was very interesting to look at companies and people that were truly harming the greater population. You know, I mean, like a dangerous drug off label marketed destroys lives. It kills people. It is, you know, a murder factory, you know, and some of the callous and offhanded emails I used to read about it um, between, you know, vendors and manufacturers and people outside of, you know, and, and, I, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying any specific company, but like, you know, I mean, all the peripheral people that know how dangerous this stuff is 
um, you know, it really kind of sparked something to me that any opportunity that I could get down the road to be more involved than I wanted to. So three years after starting this farm, we started getting into risk, uh, into mass torts, uh, specifically the ones that we're working on are Zantec and the 3M Combat earplugs. Um, of course, the 3M Combat earplugs are kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, dear to my heart, being a service member, being someone that wore those in combat, um, uh, you know, uh, and... Uh, if anybody out there did wear them and has uh, tinnitus or hearing loss, please call us at three three hundred eighty three zero four. Just just a little just a little hit just there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah. So you know that's something that I, I really am passionate about. And then also, you know, Zantac and and seeing what a lot of these companies uh, will do to get things into the marketplace. Which um, you know, look, it, there's a lot to it. It's complicated, but at the end of the day. What you have are large companies that have affected a, a giant portion of the population, which is why exactly it's called mass torts. You know, it gets tricky with the statute. It gets tricky with you're dealing with different states, you're different with different laws, tolling statutes, different type of discovery rules. Um, but what I'll say is that at the end of the day, you know, you can always go to not only my website, any website, you know, and if you feel you've taken something, if you feel that you've been wronged, if you feel that, you know, these people that uh, have been affected by something, just, you know, do a little bit of research. I guarantee you, if there's a drug, uh, a dangerous drug or a medical device that has harmed somebody, there is a lawyer that has f- figured it out and is willing yeah. to sue these companies. Yeah. And uh, I know that you were, you kind of hopped on. Uh, with the 3M kind of exploding because you were just like, well, that's just ridiculous. I, yeah, I mean, you even told me, like, yeah, I, I wore those. Yeah. And that's that hit way too close to home for you. And you're just thinking, like, my buddies wore those. And th- this was something I kind of relied on. And now it's affecting people negatively, not losing, you know, their hearing. And and then kind of Zantac kind of blew up as well, too. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there, it's a company that... Uh, a lot of times knows that it's going to affect people negatively and they do their own survey, their own testing, quote unquote, to show that it doesn't. And then after it's on market, people start coming back and be like, hold on. No, 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 no. This is definitely linked to cancer, definitely linked to some sort of illness. And it's crazy. It's crazy that it, well, it's not. It's not because you're thinking money, mm-hmm. but it's crazy that someone would go that length and not think they're going to get caught. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of these companies know they're going to get caught. I think a lot of these people that do this this harm know that. I, I Again, I would just, not I would assume, I've seen firsthand they budget money, these contingencies, they know that they are. And, and okay, so this is like probably, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I certainly look at both sides of the coin, right? So you've got these companies that are absolutely doing awful things, right? But they're also, uh, at the time, they're at the edge of science, right? So I, and they're trying to make lives better, but they need to have that restraint to say, in my opinion, to say, we've got something great here, it's just not ready. And that's when, the, to me, that's where the corporate greed comes in, where they're like, it's just not ready, but it's, it's good enough, let's start making the money now. You know I mean? that At least that's how I feel. And, and, and you know, you can't fault people for trying to make things better in life. But that doesn't give you free reign to just, you know, leave a wake of destruction behind you and then figure it out later. Because, you know, I'm sure the people that were cured of heartburn are very happy for that, but they're probably pretty sad that they have cancer. Yeah. You know, I I take a little heartburn over cancer. Yeah. So let's put it all in perspective. Let's figure this stuff out. Um, 
But but yeah, you know, I mean, like I always tell you, you know, hey, look, nobody's dying here. Yeah, you know, you're not dying here. I'm not dying here. Um, uh, you know, and in some of these cases, you know, the clients are right. Um, but when we're litigating these cases, and when you know, when you're making decisions on your, on, on the daily, although you have to keep that in mind, that look, these have real, you know, consequences. Um, you know, don't act out of, don't, you know, be bold, don't act out of fear, you know, you know, just, just do what you got to do. Like you said, it, it may be wrong and, you know, you, you, you might lose the argument, but you know, as long as you got your, you know, the mission first, you know, the client, the case, I mean, I, I mean, that's all that matters really at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, uh, I've kind of stuck to that. I think I get a little too confident with things and start coming up with <laughs> yeah. weird ideas and you're like, okay, Mike, this, this, this motion is due at five. Can you stop thinking for like three minutes? I'm yeah. like, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it's really helped me uh, learning as an attorney in that, you know, you, you, you see other bosses who just kind of are like, hey, do what I say, do what you're told, and don't do anything else, which is great if you want to do an eight to six or, or be overburdened, maybe learning something. But I've learned this plaintiff work is it's all about creativity and, you know, building your case to the point where they can check that box and say, yeah, we need to give them X amount and they're okay. You know, I mean, there's been times where I told you, hey, I think this case is worth this amount and they come back with lower and you, and you say, no, the case is worth what you said. You just haven't proven it to them yet. And I'm like, okay, I need to prove it a little bit more. I need to do this. I need to take this depot. I need to, you know, fight them on this a little bit more. You know, maybe it's not right for remediation. Maybe it is, right? And it's been really, really helpful. Mass torts, it's a beast of its own. It's it's a beast in terms of determining what's the right parameters for each person or each case or each type. You know, I know with 3M, it was a little bit hard, and some of them don't pan out. It's tough to it's tough to call one client and say it doesn't pan out. I'm sure it's even tougher to call a thousand clients and say, hey, it didn't pan out. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we've always, at this firm, we've always tried to be pretty bold with what we do, um, you know, for... Uh, we had a strong focus in medical malpractice for a while, um, you know, which in Texas is tough. Uh, we still do it, uh, you know, but I definitely learned a lot of lessons, um, you know, took a lot of lumps in doing that. Uh, I still enjoy it, but, you know, I mean, as we've talked about, you know, we're we're much more selective, you know, and I think you have to be because I also think it's a disservice to your client to tell them, yes, I can handle this case when you can't. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, in Chapter 74, you know, I talked to other attorneys, they say, no, I mean, medical malpractice is essentially dead. Uh, you've been successful uh, with uh, a lot of cases of medical malpractice, and it's really tough. It really is. You've got to really do your research on it, and you've got to honestly be bold because a lot of cases are not going to pan out the way you want them to, and the ones that do, do, and, and that's great. It's great for the client, but part of that, and it's something that you and I have done, I think, like three times this week already, is tell people... Yeah, you know, you do you do have a case, mm-hmm. but you're going to be upside down when yeah. it comes to the litigation of it. Th- that's the weird thing about this this industry, and then particularly this practice of law. And I think you have to just wrap your brain around it. Of sometimes the logistics of a case don't work out for the client, and you have to be able to tell the client that you have to say, "Hey, look, you know, um, it's because everybody says the same thing, right? What do they all say? It's not about money. I'm like, I know, but money isn't money. Money represents justice. Money represents something else. Mm-hmm. Money isn't money. Um, so if I'm not getting you any money, it makes no sense to go through two, three years of litigation to go and get, you know, nothing. But then the flip side of it too, sometimes some things that are good for the client, it's not good for the case. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, if you have a, a, a terrible uh, disease or a condition and that condition gets cured, well, 
you know, it's it's weird how we're happy for the client, but we're sad for the case. Yeah. We're like, you know, this, uh, you know, it's this, and anybody that says there isn't is lying to you. I mean, but you, you know, you're conflicted in the sense of you're like, I'm so happy for this person because, you know, you're involved with them. You know them personally. You know, like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. You're going to be fine. This mm-hmm. is, And then you're like, but. Yeah. Case wise. Case wise. You're going to have to put this all in the shredder and we're just going to have to eat all this money we spent on it. And that's okay. That doesn't happen nearly as often. You know, that's very rare. Mm -hmm. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, and some of these, like, look, you know, the same thing. No amount of money is going to bring somebody back. And if someone has some awful, you know, condition or disease that, you know, that there's no amount of money they would trade, you know, to, to continue to live that way. You know, if, you know, it does not matter. They would switch it to not be in this situation because it is not fun to to be a client litigating a big case with. Well, any case, any case, it's just not fun. No, that's no, I mean, not fun. I don't know anybody that was like, "Man, that lawsuit, great, loved it." <laughs> when can I go through another one? Right? No, I mean, they're all scared. I mean, no one, no one's interested in it. I mean, you know, I think the only people who are interested in it is maybe the plaintiff attorney, depending on the case. Honestly, even yeah. then. Not even a defense attorney. The only thing he may be excited about is if it's Bill Elizabeth. Yeah. It's one of these big boxes. Yeah. They're like, okay, this is, you know, money to my boss, more work for me. It's tough. It's it's tough. And and even worse is the person who gets the thing in the mail and is like, hey, you got to show up at this courthouse, especially in Harris County where the courthouse is probably like 45 minutes away, skip days of work, get put there, and then listen to these two people who think they're better than everybody else because they're wearing a suit yeah. and sit through that, you know? There's a book out there. It's called uh, Hostage to Hero. And I've read it and I love it because that's exactly what it is. It's like you, you're holding them hostage. And yeah. you're not only doing that to them, you're doing it to the, the, uh, the client as well too because he, he doesn't understand all the legalese. Oh, he yeah. or she you know, doesn't understand all the legalese. Yeah. They, they only know what you tell them. Yeah. And um, that takes a lot of responsibility on our hands. Right. You know, and, and we got to accept that. And, and I, you know, some attorneys, I don't, I don't know, I assume some attorneys don't tell them everything. And then we're, we're of the opinion of, we tell them every single thing. And if they want to fire us, we know 100% in our hearts we tell them every single thing we could and um, try to explain every single thing. But to, even then, they're like, okay, well, what does this mean? What yeah. does it mean? What does it mean? Are we going to trial? Are we going to trial? Well, hold on. This is a deposition, deposition at trial? No, no, no. Deposition is this. Yeah. You, know, you got to break it down. But it's tough for them. Man. They don't want to go through that. It's just part of, the, I guess, the game that it is, but it sucks. I think we forget how many, how many times that you and I and attorneys in general do the mundane thing that's terrifying to the average person, right? Like you go into a deposition, you're presenting plaintiff for deposition. Do you have any nerves whatsoever? No. No. Like when I go into trial and I'm trying a case, when I was in, and when I was at Allstate, I was trying one, one to two a month. So almost every other week I was trying a case, right? And it got to the point where my client is super nervous and I'm like, oh, dude, what's going on here? Why are you freaking? He's like, we're at trial. I'm like, I was just trial, man. I was just here. I was just here. And then I had to take a step back and realize, oh, shoot, this guy doesn't do this every you know month. He's not down here. He thinks this judge is terrifying, and these people glaring at him in the jury box. This is freaking him out. You know, and, and you know, you kind of have to readjust yourself to that. Say, is it? And it's it's kind of the same thing, you know, when, I mean, going back to Iraq when I was over there, I'm doing patrols, you know, and you, and you have someone with you, and you're, you know, and, and you're like, look, we would have KBR attached to us from time to time, right? And they're just losing it. 
freaking out. I'm like, what are you so freaked out about? And then you forget, oh, wait, you don't do this every day. You know, you're, like, you're just some engineer that I'm t- taking to do something. And, they, you know, they're losing their mind. You're like, oh, yeah, it is. A, it's the war zone. It's, 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 it's a thing. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll be fine. It's fine. I got a gun. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's good. It's good. But, you know, it's the same application. You have these people that are not used to being in the war zone of a, cor- of a courtroom, right? Yeah. And and you are. You, I mean, you're there. This is no big deal to you. I, I mean, yes, Everyone gets nervous for trial a thousand percent. If you don't, you're in the wrong industry. You get the butterflies, but then once it gets rocking and rolling, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's you know, um, and I, sometimes I had to. And of course, now I've learned as a plaintiff attorney, it's way harder to get to trial, um, just because you know you don't you don't have some adjuster just putting some terrible offer forcing you to go. That's <laughs> uh, a whole other podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you know, keeping your client, you know, not only apprised and informed. But also remembering kind of their emotional state of like, you know, where they are in this, what's going on in their head, particularly if you're going to need them to testify. And also, too, just I remember one time I won a case and I asked the jury afterwards, why did you find, you know, for my client? And they said, oh, because one time you had asked a question of the, the other side's expert and I saw the um, defendant write something on a piece of paper and I knew right then he knew that uh, his case was sunk and he got caught in a lie and your person was supposed to win and you were telling the truth. And I and me and the other attorney looked at each other like, do you even remember that? He's like, yeah, I think the guy had to use the bathroom. You know what I mean? So like what the jury perceives, you know, is totally different sometimes than what's happening. So, you know, just keeping your client you know, looking in the right state of mind, yeah. you know, not, they're not freaked out that they don't look guilty. You know yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, no, I know this isn't um, criminal, but, but still that appearance matters at every stage, particularly in front of a jury. Um, you know, it's, 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 some of those things are interesting to me. Yeah. One thing I've uh, started to get really terrified about is shoes. So I mm. actually have a pair of shoes mm. for a trial that I never wear okay. unless I go to trial or anything associated with it because for some reason, one time I was at court and I had a, just a quick hearing uh-huh. um, and I, I brought my pair of shoes and one of the buckles on the shoes was coming out uh-huh. and it popped off <laughs> and someone on the elevator was like, man, the jury's just going to look at your shoes the whole time. And it clicked in my head. I was like, yeah, no, they actually they will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm glad I'm only going to this hearing. But then I went straight, bought a pair of shoes. like, I will never wear these shoes unless I go to trial. Period. That is a smart plan, my friend. <laughs> I will say this though: get them scuffed up a little bit. I don't know. Like I don't know. Um, total side note: here's a practice tip. You know, like <laughs> I buy Alan uh, Alan Edmonds shoes. Uh, shout out to Alan Edmonds, not a sponsor. Go ahead and sponsor if you want to. But uh, <laughs> but uh, the reason I buy them is because you can resole them. You know, cheaper than buying a new pair. So okay. I was like, all right, I did the math on it, and I was like, oh, if I buy these, yeah, they're kind of spendy. Get them on sale, but I can get them resold every. It's a better deal. When they resole them, they're so slick because it's it's wood. Yeah, it's like so you slide. I've almost fall. I, you know, several times. I was like, I need to make sure to scuff them up a little bit, have a little bit of traction, because I could imagine myself just eating it face first. Because I move around way too much in trial, way too much. I've been told there's one court. I think it's he might not be on the bench anymore, but he used to make you stand no more than an arm's length away from the podium whenever you were addressing the jury. So I like to walk around and, you know, I'd hear him behind me. <clears throat> and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. So, I'd be, you know, I got have, you, you got to hold on to it. You can imagine, you could only go as far as your arm would go. 
Um, but yeah, if you're a mover and a shaker, you know, that's a good point. Check your footwear. Make sure that it's uh, <laughs> It's good to rubber. go. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm excited about this podcast. I really am. We have yeah. some great names. I mean, we know Michael Collins going on here. Yeah. Uh, Just Santos coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some great names here. We've got a couple yeah. mediators, a uh, few young attorneys, a few older attorneys. We're going to learn a lot. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to get young attorneys. Kind of excited about litigation work because, you know, you saw me coming in. I was freaked out about every single thing. I was just like, what do I object yeah. to? What is this? No, like, first, what do they file? I don't know what to do. First thing out of the shoot, you sent out some discovery. We had a snapback. So <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> that was, uh, you know, memorable. But, uh, yeah. you know, but again, you know, that's when you want to make those mistakes. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm way more excited about talking to the other folks and if anyone listens to this, uh, this is the one to skip. There is uh, you know, not a ton of good information here. Uh, this is uh, we may even redo this down the road, or not, or just keep it in the. No, man, I, I I like it. I think it shows how we are. Um, it shows kind of what I deal with every single day in yeah. terms of <laughs> a boss and why I've been successful, and uh, you know why. I sometimes make mistakes in terms of you're just like, hey, let him let him do what he needs to do, and he's just gonna figure it out. Um, but overall, it's been I, it's I think it's been really successful for my career, honestly. Yeah, I, you know, that. hey, mistakes are one of the very best uh, teachers. Yeah, you know, and uh, we do live in a world, and the beauty of the legal world is there. Uh, I can only think of off the top of my head maybe two things that you cannot come back from in in a case. Um, and uh, just like you know, there nobody's doing this on their own. Yeah. Know, we have paralegals, we have case managers, we have office managers, we have senior attorneys, we have junior attorneys, we have all these people that have uh, other eyeballs on your case. And you have to trust that there's enough of them on it that, you know, hey, when I make a mistake, someone's got to be there to pick. You know, we are a team. Yeah. Every, most every firm runs that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, be bold with your decisions, you know, um, strike out, do the things that, that you need to. Um, if you get too far left, so you know, hopefully someone there is saying, ah, no, no, I'll bring it on back. But but it's hard to go that far left. I mean, push the case, man. I think more judges, more clients, more juries respect somebody that is pushing the edge of a case versus someone that's playing it super safe. Yeah. I mean, I mean super safe gets you super low settlements. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather go down in flames and get nothing, <laughs> than, you know, yeah. and, and, but but have the chance at. But I will say this. This is, uh, you know, as we're wrapping this up, this, maybe keep this little nugget. for It's always scarier as a defense attorney if you have a giant, even absurd damage model on the other side. Yeah. As a defense attorney, every time that I was terrified is when I had a plaintiff attorney that had a huge damage model. No matter how absurd I thought it was, I would write it up to my adjuster, I'd write it up to my client, yeah. I'd write it up as saying, this is a ridiculous proposition. However, should he be successful, yeah. buckle up. It's going to be bad. And yeah. so, so that is way scarier than a, than a reasonable, well-thought-out, airtight damage model, perfect plan. You know that, that that's not as scary as the wackadoo with a with a with a life care plan or a voc rehab expert yeah. that's you know got this huge you know I mean that creates um, urgency that creates terror that creates um, the incentive for someone in the defense to take you seriously. Yeah, and I think that you know obviously with the caveat that's justifiable in right. some way. Of yeah, course. of course. Yeah, I, I mean, mean we're not we're, we're, we're not like a hundred thousand dollar beta gold ESI <laughs> that uh, 
Now, and also the client somehow right. was crippled on this, right. uh, correct. you correct. know, correct. Correct. Uh, you know, was it crippled till, you know, 400 years after the accident, you know, right. situation. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, one that's justifiable, that, mm-hmm. that is scary because that's shown that the client has really taken care of their health and they've done everything mm-hmm. and that they can justify with experts and that um, now even if you, if you win on liability, and the damages are above what you expect them to be. You're kind of you're kind of out of luck, you yeah. know. And you can have that damages argument, but again, it comes down to you've got a person who got a piece of paper in the mail come down to Harris County. You don't know what that person's going to think, you know. I mean, at that point, if you've won liability, you've got the jury thinking like you want to. I, I, I mean, at some point, you've gained enough equity with a jury that you know they're going to side with you. They're going to give you what you want at that point anyway. But but yeah, that's. I mean, I tell all people, you know, you know, c- creating that that fear creating the it, what it is is creating risk adjusters are risk-based they're always weighing the risk so I mean if it's justifiable if it's the right case uh, push it to the push it to the outer limits like don't don't not get something like if you have a case that's that's that you could get a voc rehab and the money's there and everything makes sense do it do it yeah. It's going to help your case. It's going to help. Even if you're like, man, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this. I'm not, how am I making this argument? Well, look, man, if, 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 if the science backs it up, if your expert backs it up, if it, if it all lines up, I don't care how ridiculous you think it is on the defense. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why is it that, you know, is it just a risk situation that there's just less cases going to trial? Or is it just like there's a lot of cases out there, but not a lot of attorneys who want to try cases? Combination? Uh, no. Okay. Think about it like this. All right. All, all state is obviously a huge company. Well, yeah. But put yeah. anybody in there. All State, State Farm, you know, um, USA, you know, Geico, I don't know. Yeah, insert yeah. Geico, insert Progressive, insert the top 10. Think about how many actual insurers they have, right? Then think about how many, how much data, just how much pure, raw data they have on incidents that go to claims, that go to suit, yeah. that, 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 and how they're resolved. There is a giant chart, and every bean counter has overanalyzed it to the point is they know the percentage that if they give a denial or a nuisance value offer within X amount of days with this amount of property damage, they have like a 33% drop off where people just go away. We're talking a rear end accident where someone actually sought, maybe maybe they went to an urgent care and then one or two follow up visits mm-hmm. and they're still hurt and they call up the insurance company and they say, hey, uh, I was rear ended by your client. Uh, I'm not feeling so great. And you know I'm gonna go, you know, but I wanna settle this case. And they say, hmm. We're going to deny it on liability. We actually think that you stopped in front of him. Or, you know, red light swearing match. Even though that the insurance company may know they're in the wrong, that there's a percentage of people that just go away. Like, this yeah. isn't even worth it. And that's only just for auto. It's for everything. For Workers, everything. I mean, we, we have a few of them. Now. They're just like, oh, no, I mean, this wasn't it because, you know, and they gave me some, mm-hmm. you know, terrible reason. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we'll just file. You know, and, and honestly, it's, it's at that point I've come to the conclusion that a lot of these cases, you just file and see what happens. You right. Know? Well, and again, think of the human element, right? You're a pre-lit adjuster. What's your job to do? Just pre-lit cases. If you give a crappy offer to somebody, what can that plaintiff, plaintiff attorney then do? Or plaintiff. Take it or file. Take it or file or what's the third option? Totally. Go away. Yeah. And guess what happens in all three of those incidents? I've now moved the file off to my desk. I have resolved this file. <laughs> right? That's not very much incentive, but yeah. <laughs> Even if it goes to lid, I'm not the lid adjuster. That's somebody else's problem. Yeah. Right? And then what does that lid adjuster do? Gives a crappy offer because one of two things are going to happen. He's going to either take it or he's going to continue with the suit he already filed. Yeah. You know, that's the frustrating thing is because I've had these conversations with adjusters and ECs, which are evaluation coordinators, and they'll tell me, 
oh yeah, we, we've got policy limits. I'm like, well, why not offer it? Like, yeah. well, let's see if we can get a little less. We drag this out a couple months. Maybe he'll take 20 instead of 30. Well, I'm, I'm like pulling my hair out. I'm like, why? Just give him the money. Yeah. You know, that's why I couldn't do it. That's why I couldn't do it because I was like, you know it's worth limits. Yeah. I know it's worth limits. You want to save a little bit of money. And, and here was the moment that I'd had enough as a, as a defense attorney. I was fighting a case. And the adjuster and the plaintiff attorney got into it, and they did not like each other. So my boss calls me into the, his office, puts me on speakerphone, and I'll tell you off air who the adjuster was because yeah. we still have problems with her to this day. <laughs> I already know. You already know. I already she, know. Yeah. she says, she says, I hate this plaintiff attorney. I want you to file this motion. And my boss says, Oh, oh that we're not going to win that motion. It's completely frivolous. She goes, I don't care. You know why? I want you to file that motion. That means he's going to have to file a reply. I want you to set it for hearing. He's going to have to schlub himself down to the Harris County Courthouse. He's going to have to pay $9 for parking. He's going to have to go through the metal detectors, take his shoes off, put them back on like he's a convict, go up through that <laughs> that cramped elevator where you're just elbow to elbow with, with people rushing in and out. It's a madhouse in there. All and then get back out. Of, you know, avoid the panhandlers and the guy with the saxophone, get back in your car, drive through downtown traffic and go home and sit down and be like, ugh. And she's like, I want him to experience that because I'm just sick of him. And I said, okay, I hear that. Yeah. Well, do you know who else has to do that? <laughs> Me. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care. And I'm like, I, I got it. Miss, yeah. You know, Roger. Understood. Yeah. I'm like, they don't care about me. They don't care about anything. And, like, and I was like, this, this, I already knew this wasn't for me, but this for sure is not for me. I just, I can't live my life like this. Yeah. No, no I mean, and this has nothing to do with defense attorneys. Um, you know, we, we know good defense attorneys, oh, yeah. no bad ones, just like plaintiff attorneys, no good yeah. ones, no bad ones. And, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, yeah. that I'm a good or bad one, but I'm just saying, yeah. we, we usually use no. Yeah. And I have nothing against defense attorneys. They're just doing their job, whatever. Yeah. But it, I think the reason why I do plaintiff work personally is that I just don't like the idea that someone's injured and then instead of a person who's insured who for this type of incident has said, I need someone to come and just pay for me this amount for this to go away. Someone is now coming in and saying, "Ah, you know, we will pay, but we're going to make you and the person who's missing a leg or the person who has back injuries or Mm -hmm. a person who... You know, even as fraudulent, whatever that people believe, yeah, it's gonna have to go through this entire process. It may take a few months, may take two years, may take five years. Hey, we might even get an appeal, and it might take ten years. But we're gonna make you go through all this. Yeah. And in my opinion, that makes absolutely no sense. If you pay for a service, you should get that service, right? And and to at least you know, if 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 I enter someone on the road, and my policy limit is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Take two hundred forty-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine to two hundred fifty. Just don't take two hundred fifty and one dollars because that comes now to me, yeah. and I don't care. Yeah, you know. And I get the insurance policy. Well, we want to save money. Well, I, but at the end of the day, don't put me through this process. I don't want to be in this process. Oh yeah, I, I had a client that she was a realtor. She was very, you know, she, she made a lot of money. She was a very successful realtor. She was on her phone working a real estate deal, you know, driving a brand new suburban blows a red light and T-bones a Kia. The guy needed a shoulder surgery. Uh, he was pretty he was pretty pretty bad off. Yeah. Um and uh, I remember in those meetings 
with the adjuster and they said, well, she's got a million dollar policy and a million dollar umbrella. So we have so much money behind this, take it all the way to trial. And this realtor, my client, who I'm defending her, she's begging me. She's like, my, because all she could think of, what if I lose? You know, she yeah. had real assets. And yeah. she's like, look, I bought all this insurance so that when I screw up, it will just pay and I don't have to fool with this. I don't have yeah. to give depositions. I don't have to come down here and answer this discovery. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. You got too much insurance. Because yeah. if you had 100K or 250, this would probably go away. If you had 30, it'd certainly go away. Yeah. But your assets would be... It, she's like, well, well, then what do I do? I'm like, don't know. Can't. I mean, I don't... I'm not... Call your insurance agent. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know? I'm like, I can just tell you that from a, stra- from a strategery, you know, yeah. perspective... The word is we have enough insurance because the only time insurance companies, again, in my experience, perked up is if a verdict came back over policy limits. Outside of that, if you settled or paid within the policy limits of for anything, then nobody cared. It, 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 even if it was even if it was two fifty, it was a million dollars. If it's within the policy limits, it's 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 a blip on the radar. It yeah. just goes right along because that's what that person's risk was assessed at. They risk, you know, they said my risk is a million dollars, we paid a million dollars. So, you know, again, I'm right there with you, 100%. You've got a third party stepping in that is making decisions, although in the fiduciary, you know, realm, but not not for the best of the client, i.e. the person individually sued, but for the client, i.e. the insurance company. And that's so frustrating for yeah. everybody. And, and nobody wants to call it out. It's like this, um, I don't know, you know, um, elephant in the room that we're like, are we all just going to pretend that, you know, we're not making, you know, insurance money, you know, companies rich here? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like in, in law school, you learn about the rules of evidence. You're like, you can't discuss insurance. I'm like, okay. You know, as a law school student, I'm like, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Now I'm like, wait a minute. This is, this is simply, you know, I mean, I get it. It goes to negligence. It, bothers the jury I get all that argument but at the same time this is definitely because they don't want to talk about how there's insurance here oh yeah 100%. you know you know because it, it'd be ridiculous to me to assume on a 30k policy suing an individual and telling them this pre- we want a hundred thousand yeah. dollars it's a little bit tougher when you see an individual in a company it mm-hmm. is it just is and so that the, the jury's like well how can I discount that to Make it so this person can pay. Yeah, but most juries know there's insurance. Nobody talks. Yeah, they're getting every, better about it now. Every single jury I've ever talked to has said, "Well, we assume so, the insurance company is going to pay, right?" Yeah, and they kind of look at you like hopeful, like, "Right, <laughs> please." Like, yeah, <laughs> yes. I come back with this big verdict. Yes. <laughs> to- <Yes. laughs> they're not paying this. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, no, it's uh, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting game. It's an interesting perspective, and I think the more people. Exactly what you said. We all get so worked up for our clients. We get so worked up for the case. We get so worked up for our position that it doesn't matter how worked up you get as a plaintiff attorney, you have to remember you're dealing with a business yeah. on the other side. You're negotiating with a business. Yeah, you're negotiating through probably a very competent and nice defense attorney nine out of ten times. You know, there's like our list of people we don't like is tiny. You know, I mean, yeah. like you said, tons of really, really nice, you know, defense mm-hmm. attorneys that are doing their job to the best of their ability. Yeah. But if, uh, but, but you know, that's not that's not their call, and it's really that's why I think mediators, and I'm glad they come to uh, mediators make adjusters come. I know why because they're the decision maker. Right. But I see so many adjusters 
fold like a cheap suit when they have to look across at this person that they're just, you know, screwing over. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and because it comes real to them. It's not numbers anymore. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I, and I know they're like, ah, well, you know, it's, you know, they're so jaded that, you know, but. Oh, some of them. Some of them. Again, no names. No names. <laughs> but. Uh, we may have to like beep out all states and whatnot. <laughs> No, I'm keeping that in. I think everybody knows. Yeah. I mean, um, I I, just, I even tell random people on the street, oh, you're playing attorney? Yeah. Uh, don't sign up with Austin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. If you don't want to see me, don't sign up with them. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. We're going to be airing this probably bi-weekly, hopefully, with uh, a lot of great guests. We have a lot lined up. They'll probably, honestly, be dropping with this one. So you'll hear us. You'll get really bored and just go on to the next one where you learn actual stuff. Yeah. And uh, it'll be cool. Yeah. Awesome. Great cool. great job, Mike. Great uh great work. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, all right. This is great. <laughs> <laughs>